Welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. To stay up to date with everything going on, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Embassy Earth. I love you guys. You guys know your pastor's crazy, right? I didn't have to tell you that. He's crazy. Um, good morning, Embassy City Church family. How are you doing this morning? Good. Well, I hope you're ready for the word today because that's all you're going to get. Yes. Um, I know that's what you're used to. This morning, I just want to say um, I'm super thankful. It's such a special thing for me uh, to be able to call my brother and my friend my pastor. And um, not very many people get that opportunity. But um, Tim, I think you are one of the most incredible preachers in the world. Um, But, (laughs) it's always a but, but you are a better man. And it is for that reason that I am so thankful that not only me, but that this world has you. So thank you for who you are, because that is the most rare thing, yeah, I think. You don't usually get both. You usually either get like a really good preacher, and they got some issues, or a really good person that you're like, okay, I'll deal with your preaching, but you know, but it's it's such a blessing that we have both. Um, I love you to my husband, who... Got both babies ready today, which that's the real hero of the day. He got two kids here. I mean, late, but you know. (laughs) They got matching shoes on and everything. So praise God. Praise God. So um, forgive me today if I am in a different place. But today I came to do business. Because today is May 16th. That might not mean anything to you, but May 16th is very significant to me because May 16th is the day that I was supposed to die. 41 years ago, I was dying in a hospital. (laughs) The CDC had been called in, came, left. My doctor would not even come into my room. I was in isolation. And my mother was told and begged and reprimanded for staying She was told to go home because I would not make it through the night. And she should just go home and, I guess, plan my funeral and begin the grieving process because there was nothing that could be done. May 16th was the day that I was supposed to die. But instead of me dying on May 16th, May 16th gave me the will to live. At so many different points in my life when I started to question why I was here, if I had purpose here, and if it was worth being here, May 16th reminded me that God had moved heaven and earth to make sure that I was still here. So I knew that I was here for a purpose. See, May 16th is the day that the devil wanted to engrave on my tombstone, but God engraved it on my heart. And I'm here today... Because that day helped me understand that I did have purpose. But the struggle that I had for many years then was to discover what that purpose really was. Church did not help me. They confused me. Books didn't help me. It confused me. Nothing helped me understand purpose until I really got into the scripture. So today, I want to be audacious enough to tackle the topic and wrestle with the idea of purpose. And the title of my message is, The Whole is Hallowed. The Whole is Hallowed. Can we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that your word today would be like a seed that goes into our hearts, bears fruit, and explodes in the earth. We pray right now that we would lean into your word We come against every hindrance and every distraction in the name of Jesus. And we lean in and say, God, speak. Your servants are listening. Anoint your word and just help me, Holy Spirit, to give it to them like you gave it to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's go to the word. uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'm going to read a lot. And I know you're used to it, so I don't have to apologize because Tim is your pastor. So um, 
1 Samuel chapter 1. Are you ready for the word? Yes. Are you ready to grow? Yes. If you're ready to grow, say, let's grow. Let's grow. Okay, I had to just try it. I mean, if you're ready to grow, say, let's grow. Let's grow. You're used to that. Okay, here we go. There was a certain man. I'm just going to intentionally mess up all their names because I don't know how to pronounce them anyway. There is a certain man from Ramathame, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf. I really don't need all that right now. He was an Ephraimite. His name was Elkanah, okay? That was his name. Um, he had two wives. I'm not going to preach on that today. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Penina. Penina had children. Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Aww. And the Lord had closed her womb. Hmm. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year after year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. What kind of things do you have to say to make someone weep until they literally cannot eat? This is what she would do. And Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Can we just pause right here for one second? I'm sorry, but I I feel like he's talking to the wrong woman, right? Like, why are you talking to Hannah if you don't shut that heifer up right there? Yes, Katie. I said heifer. Y'all not going to get me today. If you don't shut her up, why... At some point, does he not tell her and exert his authority and be like, you know what, you've said enough. I do not know why he is talking to Hannah, but now he wants to make this about him. Am I not enough? Can I not? Are you not more satisfied than me? And once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you whatever it is that you asked him for. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. And early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here so you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. 
Okay, let's go. So um, the first half of this, this whole chapter, it, this is one of the most, descri- I love the Old Testament, it takes more time to really like let you see people and introduce you to characters, right? And so it takes so much time wanting us to have this picture painted. It's so much detail. And at the end of the first 20 verses, you can, no one can read the story and not walk away knowing one thing. Hannah is desperate for a child. She wants a child, hadn't been able to have a child. And for years, she has been longing. She has been desiring. She has been wanting. She has been crying. She has been antagonized. She has suffered. And at this point in her life, she is still barren, but really wants a kid. Significance of barrenness back then was different than now. It's not like us when we can't have children. And I, and I understand that pain because my kids are miracles and a specialist told me that I'd never have them. I remember how that hit me. But in this time, barrenness meant about 100 times more. If you were a Hebrew woman um, and, and I saw you, I would know, I would decide how blessed you were, or how much God loved you based on how many kids you had, especially sons. It was considered a blessing, God's blessing on your life to be able to have children. And more children meant more blessing and more approval of God. If you were barren, my assumption was, we don't know something God knows about you. And he has decided that you are not trusted with kids. And he don't want to take no chance that the Messiah could come through your body. Because, you know, it's, all we know is a woman's going to give birth to Jesus. And he just wants to make sure in this Jesus lottery, you don't have a chance. So uh, when we look at you, all we know is if you're barren, you have no significance. The whole reason that you exist is to have kids. And if you can't do what you were created to do, then God has decided something's wrong with you. So when you were barren, there was sorrow, there was stigma, and there was isolation, there was frustration, there was complete devastation for Hannah. This was an awful thing. She had been married to him for 10 years before he finally took Penina as his second wife, because after 10 years, you kind of would take another wife. Like, if you can't do it, we got to find someone too. He loved Hannah, but then he married Penina 10 years later. And now they have been married long enough that it says she has a lot of kids. We don't know exactly how many. She's already got a lot. So there has been a lot of years Hannah's been suffering, and year after year after year, as if it's not bad enough to be barren, this woman just will not stop running her mouth. She is just just putting her elbow in it. She is just constantly trying to trigger her. She is doing everything she can year after year. So after 10 years of frustration uh, of being married and, and not having kids, now there's the added agitation. So there's frustration and now there's agitation, and year after year, it is impossible to read this and not feel for her and to be on her side and to say, why is this happening to her? She's a good person, and we hate Penina, and we love Hannah because we want her to succeed, and we don't understand. And then the hard part is this that we read. What happened? How, why is this happening? And God raises his hand. It says the Lord closed her womb, and he, he raises both hands. And twice in the scripture, it tells us that the Lord closed her womb and this is troublesome it tampers with my theology because all of her pain has been triggered by her barrenness but now God said that it is her his hand on her womb that has made her barren so has God triggered all her pain and I I need to wrestle with this why not because God owes me an answer but because God is inviting me to understand more about himself by telling me this so today I want to wrestle with the why why did the Lord close her womb in all of her dress uh, distress God's hand is on her womb. What is a womb? A womb is a hollow organ. It is essentially a hole in the woman's body. She has a hole that nothing has been able to fill. And now it's time for the annual trip every year. Oh, yes, can't wait. Panay and all her kids are coming. And we're going to get on a donkey, and we're going to go 14 miles on a donkey. Six hours. Of her going in and then and then and then and him saying nothing. I got it. Uh, 14 miles. 
14 miles of watching her kids call my husband daddy. 14 miles wow. of feeling abandoned by God. I got to go 14 miles of her running her mouth and reminding me and I'm comparison all in my face. I got to go 14 miles of feeling belittled and questioning my value and significance in life. I got to go 14 miles of accusation and insults, 14 miles and hold my peace. And then when we get there, I got to sit at a table with her and all these kids and we're going to have a dinner all together like a big, happy family. But there is a hole in my soul that nothing has been able to fill 14 miles. It's a long journey on a donkey. And now we're going to Shiloh. It's up on a hill. It's been leveled off, and the Ark of the Covenant is here. The presence of God is here. Every year we make the trip, and what we do is we offer these sacrifices to God, and then we get a portion of the meat. And now we have this big dinner, a festival. We all eat, and um, our dysfunctional family acts fine. We all act spiritual. We eat. We drink. Sound familiar? And then... And then after that, then we get the party started. Here comes the music and the dancing, and we party, and we celebrate, and tomorrow we go 14 miles back home. Every year she's done this, sat at this table. For 14 years, she has sat at the table of comparison, looking in the face of everything she wishes she had, but God seems to have withheld with her year after year. But something happens on this day. Something happens at this table that she makes up her mind and she looks across the table at him and he doesn't understand why he can't fill it, but all she knows is he can't. And he looks at her, she looks at Penina and says, look, I have decided something has got to give. There is like an urgency. I don't know what triggers it. After all these years, something happens. And she looks around at the table of comparison and says, you know what? What God has for you is not for me. But that does not mean he has nothing for me. It means I'm sitting in the wrong place. And so she gets up. And with an urgency, it says, Hannah, God." Up. And this is the same Hebrew word and when it says, then arose Deborah, a mother in Israel. This is a powerful word. Hannah, after all these years, Hannah stood up. And where does she go? She makes up her mind. This is as close as I get to the presence of God. I don't have the access that we have now to God's presence. The ark is here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run to the presence of God. She gets up. She pushes her chair away from the table and she runs to the presence of God and says, I'm done sitting here. Now remember, God's hand has been on her womb. But God's hand is always connected to his heart. His hand is always connected to his heart. And after all of these years, his hand is covering her womb. Her tears have never moved it. And after all of those years, it's like her frustration hasn't moved it. Her agitation hasn't moved it. Her silent depression hasn't moved it. Nothing has moved it. His hand is on her womb and nothing has moved it until this moment. Something that comes out of her mouth moves his heart enough to move his hand. And after all these years, a miracle happens and he moves his hand and her womb is opened. Now she's where she's always dreamed, barefoot and pregnant. Look, I know that has negative connotations, but today I want to, I want to reclaim barefoot and pregnant. Talk about it. She gives birth to a son, names him Samuel. It's a play on words. I love her. She's cute. Because Samuel, when you say in Hebrew, it sounds like you're calling the name of God. But it also means I ask the Lord for him. It is a reminder every time she looks in his face that he's not hers. And I'm so happy for her when she leaves this place. And it says she lays with him. I'm like, oh. And then it says God opens her wound. I'm like, oh, girl, yes. I'm about to throw her a shower. I, am, I know what it's like to have a miracle, baby. I'm about to celebrate. Get this. I'm going to call Juliet Ross. She throws the best parties. Here comes the invitations. And I'm getting ready to write the invitations. But before I can even get the invitations addressed, I am thrown from celebration to grief. Because I keep reading. I'm like, wait, I moved to grief because I'm a mom. And my son is about the age that Samuel was when she would have to walk him up a hill and give him away. Today, I want to, to honor the text by processing it, mm. by looking deeper into the picture God is trying to paint 
I want us to imagine. After all we know about Hannah, she's believed for him, cried for him, carried him, labored him, delivered him, nursed him, bond him with him. She's held him. She's changed his diaper. She's played with him. She's taught him his first words, watched his first steps. She stayed up long nights with him, held him on her chest, slept with him. She has spent more than two years as his mommy. He has no idea what's about to happen, but she does. And every day she spends as a mommy is a day she knows is one more day closer to the day that she has to give him back. Can you imagine? How do you prepare to give away your child? Can you imagine the weeks leading up? Can you imagine that week when you're trying to pack a bag for your son, for your two-year-old, and you're trying to think of what you're going to grab and how do you pack for someone's whole life? And as you're packing... Two years have been great. have to give him back. Do I keep this or do I, for his scent, or do I give it to him? I want him to have everything. What do I give? What can I keep? Maybe I could just put his, at least no one's going to know what he likes. Maybe I can at least put some snacks and things that I know he likes. And then you start to imagine and think, but what's going to be like? Because he doesn't really hardly talk, and, and I'm the only one who understands what he says. No one's going to know what he's saying. No one is going to know how to love my child and to give my child what he needs. What, what do I prepare for him? And she's packing the bag. You can imagine that final night. I bet you anything, Hannah never slept a wink. And I bet you Samuel lay sleeping on her chest until the day in the morning when his eyes popped open and her eyes filled with tears knew that this would be the last morning her son woke up to her face. And now she's got to get him ready. She's, everything's packed and now she's got a 14-mile journey. And you know the devil be making good use of his time, 14 miles, for the devil to try to tell you I can't believe. No wonder God never trusted you with kids. What a terrible mom. You're giving yours away. 14 miles for the enemy to say, whew, man, your son's going to be so traumatized. He will be so afraid, and he will. He will be so confused, and he will. He will feel so abandoned, and that's true. He will. 14 miles to consider, what is my, what is my child going to think about me leaving him? Who is going to love him? Who's going to raise him? This guy can't even raise his own sons. Eli's sons are the most wicked. How am I trusting my child with this man? 14 miles, this long trip, and can you imagine that moment? Finally gets to the doorstep, holding on, son, that last hug. I love you, baby. No, you don't understand this. I know you'll never understand this, but I love you. Final kiss, handing him over. Sam is like, no, mommy. And he's having a fit. And when that door slams, you can hear your son calling for you on the other side of that door and you can't answer because Samuel does not belong to you anymore. And what I want to see from Hannah is her fall down, collapse, cry so hard she vomits because I know she got that kind of drama in her. We saw it at the temple. <laughs> drops him off. And it's at this point when I see her and I imagine my son, never. I love you, God, but I, don't, I could never. It's at this point when I see her, when I start asking myself, wait a minute, whoa, 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 hold up. Why are we doing this? And I remember that vow, that stupid vow. Why? Why did you make that vow? Nobody in all of heaven or earth asked you to make that vow. Why? Did you make that vow? Because it's binding now. And if you were going to make that vow, why did you only ask for a child? Why did you not ask for more and say, I'll give you the first if you promise me more? Why did you make that vow? Why did you only ask for one? And why is it so easy for you to walk away? And the very first words out of your mouth, instead of collapsing, are I, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Girl, if you don't shut up and cry, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And now I have to go, okay, hold up. Something's lying to me because the scripture has told me how 
Desperately, she wants a child, but how could you want something so much but so easily walk away? How? Both cannot be true unless I have assumed that she wanted a child so desperately for the same reasons that I want child, children so desperately. Here's what I think. I think the vow reveals to us that her desire was not just about wanting to have children. It's about the fact that every day she woke up in a body that was literally created and built to birth. She was created to do something but hindered. And it is a terrible thing to be built to birth but locked up and hindered and not able to operate in the purpose that you were designed to operate in. I believe at one point in her life, Hannah had plans and wanted her all her plans to have kids and a family and weddings and all this kind of stuff. But at a certain point, she said, I have decided that I would rather lay down my plans and not be able to fulfill my plans if it means I can fulfill my purpose. All this sorrow and what was at the really at the root of her discontentment was living outside of purpose. She said, I can live without fulfilling my plans, but I have to fulfill my purpose. Yes. See, barrenness is yes. spiritually symbolic of living outside of purpose. Here's the picture I see. We know and we have been painted in the early in the marriage series, Tim painted this incredible picture of the, of the bride and the groom. Christ and his church. So we already know that we are, in this picture, the bride of Christ. But first comes love, then comes marriage. Then comes the baby in the baby carriage. Barrenness is symbolic of living outside of purpose. And here is the principle. Whenever God wants to do something on the earth, he has chosen that the way he does it is he finds the womb of his bride to birth his purposes on earth. Whenever God wants to birth something on the earth, he looks to his bride and he finds a womb by which he will birth his purposes in the earth. As in the natural, that womb is a little hollow place inside of you. Spiritually speaking, it is a little hole inside of you that even church can't fill. And, and, and being a Christian doesn't, hasn't filled. And a family and finances hasn't filled. It's that little hole in you that makes you say stuff like, I just, I just want to do something that makes a difference. I want to, I, I, I'm still a little bit unfulfilled because there is a hole. That hole is a womb. Now, with that mind, in mind, We go back to the text, because in all the years I've heard Hannah, the focus has always been on Hannah. The focus of this story has always been on Hannah, her pain, her process, her penina, all the P words. It's all about Hannah. And we're focused like this, like a lens that is a close-up of someone. We see Hannah, and all we've seen is how much she wants to to birth. And now what I want to do is I want to back the camera up from her heart, past her heart, past Hannah's home past her city, and I want to look now to her nation, and I want us to look at the nation of Israel, what's happening in Israel. This is a time in history when every man is doing that which was right in his own eyes. It is a time in history when it says the word of the Lord is rare. God is not speaking. It is a time in history when the Philistines are being raised up to be so powerful that they will not be able to be defeated, and their giants will not come down. Okay? So this is a time in Israel It's a crazy, terrible time, and God is in heaven, and he's looking down at his chosen people. He's looking at a crisis on earth, and he's looking at the problem, and he has a solution in his heart. He has the seed of Samuel in his heart and in his mind. I need a Samuel. I have a Samuel. I need someone on the earth to bridge the gap between judges and prophets and kings. I need someone whose ear will be so tuned to my voice that nothing of his words will ever fall to the ground. I need a Samuel. I need a Samuel who will walk into the house of Jesse, give a hard pass to all the other brothers, call for a shepherd boy and anoint a child as king. I need 
Samuel on the earth, but here's the problem. If he's going to hear my voice that clearly, he's got to be trained from a young age. I need, I need a womb through which I can birth Samuel. I need a woman who will birth him, and there's lots of women who will birth, but I need somebody who will be crazy enough to birth Samuel and then give him back. But who? What kind of woman? What kind of woman would be crazy enough to labor for a baby, deliver a baby, love a baby, and give him back to me? What kind of woman would have just enough agitation, just enough frustration, just enough disappointment, just enough cried just enough, suffered just enough, been walking 14 miles just enough years? I need a woman who's been just enough that I can get her to do something that makes no sense at all and out of her own mouth just go, you know what, give me Samuel and you can have him back. How do I get a woman like that? How, how, how do I find a woman just tired enough fitting in with everybody else and just doing what everybody else does and have babies. How can I get a woman desperate enough for something more? See, when the Lord closed her womb, he put his hand on her womb and it created a crisis that provoked a passion, that stoked a surrender, that took what was hollow and made it hallowed. His hands on her womb made it hallowed. He was setting it apart. For him, his hand was not there to harm. It was there to hollow. This place is for Samuel. And it's not ready until your heart is ready to give him back. That little hole in your heart, believer, that little gnawing ache is there by design. It is the womb yes. through which God will birth his purposes on the world. So watch, watch how the spiritual mirrors the natural. Let's just take a walk, right? In the, in the natural, the womb is hollow. It's like a hole, like that hole in your soul that you feel nothing else can fill, that longing for purpose, right? A womb is a hollow organ. Only seed can fill it. Nothing else can get in your womb. Nothing you absorb through your skin. See, with your eyes, hear, taste, drink, nothing, only seed can fill it. That seed always begins inside of the Father. Purpose always begins with God. If it doesn't begin with God, Tim would say, that's called ambition. If it's purpose, it always begins in the Father. Father, and that seed is deposited to you through intimacy, yes. not through yeah. intellect, not through a TED talk, a book, a sermon, a series, nothing else. Purpose is only deposited with intimacy with the Father. And when it is deposited, you become what we call pregnant, pregnant with purpose. Now let's keep going. When you become pregnant, pregnancy is exciting, but I want to tell you something about pregnancy. Pregnancy is a burden. It's beautiful, but it's a burden. Pregnancy changes everything it stretches you till you feel like you cannot be stretched anymore pregnancy carrying something inside of you is scary it is exciting but it's more scary it's fragile it's a weight to carry and it keeps getting heavier till you birth it it changes things there are certain things that you used to be able to do that you cannot do anymore and when everybody else is saying sushi you have to say I'll wait because what I have to do right now is not fulfill my desires and my appetites but protect what's inside of me being pregnant is a different life you have to start thinking less about yourself being pregnant takes away some of your freedoms you, you don't have the same liberties when you are pregnant you don't get to stop everything else you're doing just to be pregnant I had to still get up pregnant and sick as a dog and still find a way to preach three times when we were pastoring because I didn't get to stop being everything else just to be pregnant you have to find a way to to be both pregnancy is a burden and when God impregnates with purpose you will know because it feels like a burden yes. and then 
after pregnancy, when it's time comes the labor, is the pain. And then when, when the pain comes, the pain different looks different for people, but pain, then at a certain point, it turns into pressure. And y'all, the pressure is what I couldn't handle. The pain of labor was one thing, but that pressure, it was an urgency where you knew that you had to do something we call push. Somebody say push. Whoa. Now, the pain and the pressure are supernatural. You don't ask for them. You don't bring them. They just come. God sends the pain and pressure, but the push is how you have to cooperate with the pain and the pressure. The push is on you. And if you do not push next to the modern miracle of C-section, if you do not push, that baby will die inside of you. Only you can push it out. And some people wonder why you're stuck in cycles of pain, pressure, and grief, pain, pressure, and depression. It's because when the pressure came, God was trying to birth things that you never had the strength to push. And so you are standing on a grave you cannot see. Gravy, you're, you're staying on a grave, trying to bury things that you didn't even know died. And you don't know why you're depressed. Pain, pressure, and you didn't push. And after the push comes the baby, but Hannah had to push. Yeah. Hannah had to push after all the years of pain, after all the years of pressure. When she was at that table, something shifted. When you're in labor and that pain turns to pressure, it is a very obvious, it's an, a very obvious shift. You know something different is happening. There is an urgency and some women start to go, I got to get this thing out of me. I have to push. Something happened and shifted in Hannah and something in her knew it was time to cooperate with the pain and the pressure. So she pushed her chair away from the table. She got up and it was her first push and she pushed her way to the presence of God and that was her second push and that presence of God that temple was her delivery room and she pushed past the opportunity to be offended when he called her a drunkard and she chose humility and she pushed and she pushed until her final desperate push something came out of her that she did not even expect to come it was this crazy vow because when you're pushing you say stuff you don't know where it came from and she was pushing and pushing and her final push she came out a crazy vow and the vow she made to God was the sound of Samuel's first cry she walked away and her face changed because she was still not pregnant but she had just given birth she had just given birth to purpose see when God wants to birth his purposes on earth he is looking still for a bride who will carry it who will labor for it who will push it and who will nurse it and then will give it back never see it as their own God says could I birth something through you and you name it after me and you walk it back up a hill and give it back to me. Samuel, every time she called his name, she was reminding her soul that while I have been trusted with him, he's not mine. The purpose that I birth is not for me. It's for God. See, God didn't choose Hannah because she was sad. <laughs> he chose her because she was surrendered. God had no problems finding women to birth things, but he had a hard time and still does finding people who will give them back. When God wanted to birth Samuel, he found a woman who would walk her only son up a hill and offer him back. When God wanted to birth a nation called Israel, he found a man who he could give a son and he would walk that son up a hill <laughs> and offer him back. And a nation was born on a hill where a man took that which God gave him and offered it back. When God wanted to birth Jesus. I know you've heard he chose Mary because she was pure, but you've been lied to. Because most of the girls her age were pure. That's right. Purity wasn't rare. Right. Right. Surrender was rare. Right. Purity wasn't rare. And some of you have been disqualifying yourself from birthing the things God 
wants to birth on this earth because you don't feel you are pure enough. She was not pure. It wasn't because she was pure. It was because she was surrendered enough that God could come to her out of nowhere and say, hey, can I grow something in you, right? (laughs) And she was surrendered enough to give up her reputation, to give up her dreams and plans, to live on the run. She was surrendered enough to give up her birth plan and give birth in a barn to love him to nurse him, to raise him, to feed him, to bond with him, to watch him be rejected and despised, to watch him be talked about. She was surrendered enough to raise him, but never forget he wasn't hers. She was strong and surrendered enough to resist the mother's urge on that hill to run and throw her body between the whip and her son's back. She was surrendered enough to stay near to the cross and never leave, but never try to interfere with the thing God said he had sent him to do. She was surrendered enough. So when God wanted to birth Jesus, he found a woman who would raise him, walk up a hill and offer him back. When God wanted to birth salvation, when he wanted to birth sons and daughters, when he wanted to give birth to you, He found a man named Jesus who would walk up a hill, take the body that he gave him, and offer it back. See, Jesus gave birth on a cross. Stripped naked, he was barefoot and pregnant. And on the cross, he labored. And a sword broke his water on the cross. And he pushed through the pain and he pushed through the offense. And it was ugly, but it was holy. Because he was giving birth on a cross. And that day we were born again like a newborn baby covered in blood. We were born covered in his blood. And they never cleaned us off. And he pushed the pain and the pressure until he said, it is finished. What's finished? The story's not finished. What he's saying, finished. The thing God wanted to birth, it's finished. And the last thing he said was, into your hands, I commit my spirit. See, when God wanted to birth salvation, he found a man who would take the body he gave him and offer it and commit it back. And Jesus' last breath was the sound of the church's first cry. We were delivered on. on a cross. Now hear me when I say this. Discovering your purpose is not discovering your gift. It's discovering your offering. Discovering your purpose is not discovering your gift. It is discovering your offering. Now, here's the scary thing. When God wanted to birth deliverance for Israel, he found Moses. And at the burning bush, when he spoke to him, it was a moment of intimacy. You can start. It was a moment of intimacy. He said, hey, Moses, I've got something in my heart in heaven that I want to birth on earth. I want to deliver my people. And I want your womb to be the womb through which I bring deliverance. And in this moment of intimacy, He is impregnated with purpose. And God tells him, take off your shoes. And he stood there barefoot and pregnant. Because the ground was holy. He was pregnant with purpose. And here's the scary thing. God wanted to birth it through him. And although Moses saw heaven, he never saw the delivery room. And when did that happen? Moses, God put a staff in his hand, said, I want to do something on earth. I'm going to get water from this rock. You speak to that rock, tell water to come out, and water is going to come out. Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, he took the thing God put in his hand, and he struck the rock. And it was that simple thing that God said, "Mm mm-mm. When he took the thing God gave him to carry. And he decided that he got to decide how to use it. 
He said to God, this is not yours, it's mine. He took the thing God gave him to carry and he miscarried it. He miscarried it. Moses never made it to the delivery room. God had to find another womb because the man he wanted to use took the thing that he gave him and decided it was his own. And when God wants to birth something on the earth, he has always looked for someone who will take what he gives him and I'll give it back. And give it back. The lie is that the purpose is this big thing that you discover finally and it's great. But purpose is a constant cycle of birthing. It's a constant cycle of being so intimate with God, with the Father, that in a moment, if he wants to birth something on the earth, he wants to pay for somebody's groceries. Yes. You feel it. You feel the urgency. Woo! And yes. you push and you obey. Yes. And then you give it back to God. I don't know what she's going to do with it. Yes. I don't know what it's going to do. It's God's. Sometimes there's things that I've had to carry for years and I'm still carrying and I know I'll birth one day. But sometimes the purpose of God for my life is a message and I've got to labor for it. Then I have to deliver it, but then I have to give it back to God. Purpose, fulfilling purpose, is about giving birth to God constantly. Cycles of birth. See, other some of you today, as I'm preaching, you're like Hannah, and you have had this hold, this longing for so long. You've carried it with you, and the revelation for you today is that you've been waiting for God to fill that hole, but he's been waiting for you to hollow it. You've been waiting for God, and he's been waiting for a vow. And his hand is still on it. The vow is what moves his heart enough to move his hand. Today, some of you are like Hannah, but some others of you are like Mary. Because you weren't even thinking about giving birth. Today, you weren't even thinking about purpose. And my voice sounds like Gabriel today. Just turning your life upside down with a crazy invitation from God saying, Hey, I know you have plans for your life. You see your life going one way. But could I grow something in you that will cost you everything? And then you give it back. I don't know which one you are today, but I know this. I refuse to take part in any more burials of the things that God wants to birth because I wouldn't open my mouth. I stand today because on May 16th, I was supposed to die. And then when I didn't die, they said my quality of life would be so bad they would wish I died. Wouldn't be able to walk. I wouldn't be able to speak. I stand today on May 16th because God had a purpose. And if I ever fulfill any of it, it will only be because he's looked past my faults. I'm not married because I have just said all I want is an offering to give back to you. And today, that is what God is looking for. People who will stop coming say, I want my purpose. I want my purpose. No, you want a gift. But purpose is an offering. And today, I come to break spirit barrenness in the natural and in the spirit. I come to command every closed womb to be open 
in Jesus' name. In every barren womb under the sound of my voice and in the scream, I command you to cooperate with the plan and will of God and be open and life to enter. And I curse barrenness in Jesus' name. In the natural and in the spirit. I curse barrenness. I curse that thing in us that has us so caught up in our plans for our life that we would not lay them down. In Jesus' name, I declare that Embassy City Church will be a hospital, a delivery room where we give birth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, said what you told me to say and now I give it back to you I do pray today that there would be a response in the, in the spirit wherever we stand today that someone today would make a vow that hole is hollow but it's hallowed and it's set apart for you Please don't let us leave you to bury things you wanted to birth. Please, God, not us. Don't let ambition strangle what you want to birth through us. We give it back to you, Lord, today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Holy moments. Our hold up moments. Hold up. God is speaking to me right now. Hold, hold up. I did not expect to hear that today. Hold up. That was for me. When God speaks this clearly, it's incredibly intentional. He's doing it on purpose because he knew you'd be here. (laughs) He knew you'd be watching. Hannah changed positions. She said, I can't keep showing up the same way, in the same place, and get something different. I have to change my position and my location for me to get whatever God wants to give me. And I truly believe this is one of those moments. So I know we have protocols. And I know we're being careful. But there are some Hannahs in the room this morning. Okay, Holy Spirit. There's some Hannahs in the womb this morning. And you've been fighting between purpose and plans. And if that's you, I just want you to meet me right here. You're already moving. You knew it was happening. There is something in your womb. There is something in your womb. It won't let you rest. Just get as close as you can. There's something in your womb. 
You had your own plan. You had your will. You had your way. You thought you knew exactly what you were going to do, how you were going to do it, when you were going to do it. You said, by 30, I'll be married. And by 35, I'll be the vice president of the company. And by 40, I'll be doing this. And you're looking at 38. And it doesn't look like anything you planned. (laughs) You're looking at 25 and going, where did I get off? I must have missed God. Now I'm too late. Let me tell you something. The anointing of God does not have an expiration date. (laughs) You can't be late to a party God plan. I just want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. It's no mistake that this message was preached in this house. Because I got pregnant with Embassy City. And on our first weekend service, I gave it right back to him. This is not my church. It's his church and we all get to be in it. I truly believe that if you would give God permission to take over, I don't know why this bumper sticker is in my head. Jesus is my co pilot. No, you need to get in the back seat. To imply co-pilot means you're on the same level. That when that that if he takes his hands off the instrumentation, that you could actually put your hands on it. Now you need to jump in the back seat. Satan drives, the Holy Spirit leads. Get behind. And go where he leads you. Lord have mercy. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, wow. (laughs) Just wow. I believe that there's people at this altar that uh, are like Hannah. They have a relationship with you and they're crying out. I believe that there's people at this altar that don't have a relationship with you and they're crying out. Whether people are already citizens in the kingdom or coming into the kingdom of God, I pray that they would take their hands off of what you have your hand on. And that you would take the whole that is in our soul that hole that you have protected, laid hands on, not allowed to be contaminated or compromised. And with you, fill us up with you, not with gifts, not with talents, not with money, not with status, with you. God, I thank you that today we just got stronger. I thank you that today we just grew up. (laughs) I thank you that today we just gave up our purposes and our plans. I want to speak to somebody. Which camera would I look at if I'm talking to somebody? This one? Is this one good? Whoever you are, wherever you may be, there's a purpose that God has for your life. And nothing you've used to numb it, nothing that you have used as a counterfeit, as a supplement, will be able to replace the hole that God put there 
just for you. So, Father, I just pray and we seal everything that you have said. Let these words run deep into our soul, into our bone marrow. I pray that this message is on repeat all week. (laughs) My God. God, everything that's come out of Katie, put it back. You do not get a word like that flipping pages in the Bible. That word only comes spending time in his presence. So, God, we say thank you for May 16th. (laughs) We say thank you for May 16th. What the enemy tried to declare dead, you've come to pronounce alive. Now, God, bless us as we leave this place, but not your presence. May the peace of God be with us and watch over us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash embassycitychurch. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Irving. If you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text embassycity, all one word, to 77977. We pray you had a great week. Thanks for listening today.